This is the second of four parts of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young with Vicente Cedarberg's attorney, Valerio Romano. Now they ask, is it time to focus on California's weed trade, or is that a bad role model for Massachusetts? We have a very special guest in studio, Valerio Romano, which is a fantastic name. Thanks, Jimmy. I'm guessing it has something to do with Italy. I was born in Italy, yes. Where in Italy were you born? In Rome. That is so cool. One of the interesting developments, uh, you mentioned California, uh, that, and, and of course they've had it and for a little over a year for adult use, but they've had medical for a long time, and it's been part of the culture in California. You grew up in California? I did. Um, you, But L.A., not Humboldt County, right? Well, I, I went to— I, I didn't, I by to, the way, uh, didn't even know what Humboldt County was until before Nikian, but that's another story. I went to undergrad and law school in San Francisco. Gotcha. And practiced criminal defense there and definitely worked in, in Humboldt as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, strange place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've read recently that 80% of the legal market in the United States comes out of Humboldt County, California. Of the legal or illegal? Illegal. I mean, that, that, might, be, that might be an accurate statistic, although things are changing since legalization in California. Right. The, 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 the non-licensed grows are getting shut down. Uh, these, these properties are not being used anymore. So that's definitely, it's definitely changing. And... What has happened in – so I, I'm using that as an example because here in Massachusetts, we now know that it's adult use, recreational, is legal once you get all the licensing and you get your permitting and you get your host agreement in place. But it, what's happened, at least this is what's being reported, is that the illegal market has actually gone up even though the whole point of legalization is to control that. So is that – a factor because of the slow rollout of the dispensaries, you think? Or why do you think the illegal market actually has gotten a boost in their distribution? Is it because of s- simple supply, demand, and cost? You know, I don't I, – I mean, you're telling – I'm you, asking your opinion. Yeah, I understand. you're telling me that, that, that the illegal market or, or the non-licensed market. Non-licensed market. Yeah. I like that better. Yeah. I don't like the color they use yeah. either on the other one. So. Yeah, the non-licensed <laughs> market uh, – in Ma- I hadn't heard that it was going up. Per- per- perhaps there's, you know, there, perhaps there's more reporting because the overall acceptance of cannabis has mm-hmm. become greater. So people are more willing to talk about where they get cannabis and whatnot. And so, but I hadn't heard that the non-licensed market is increasing uh, post uh, ending of prohibition and, and opening of these. So I, I would, I would probably attribute it more to, to better fact finding than actually more illegal production and coming into and, the state. And, yeah. And, well, that's a whole other issue, you know, mm-hmm. bringing cannabis in from outside of the state, but you know, any amount, of, any amount of cannabis is illegal under federal law. Right. So, you know, this whole thing, this whole red herring of crossing state lines with cannabis mm-hmm. is, is really that, just that, a red herring, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, because the feds, you know, the feds can bust you for having a joint in your pocket, whether you're in state or not, right. legal or not. And so, um, and, and a lot of news reporting gets that wrong. There was a story last night on Channel 4 that talked about, you know, interstate crossing interstate lines with cannabis is being illegal under federal law, but as some special, ele- it's all illegal under federal law. Right. Yeah. And, and, it's uh, a complicated issue, though, and I get it. It is. And Great Barrington, 
uh, out there has a, a shop, and I've read this in the Globe. Who again, I think the Globe has a great cannabis reporting division. I'm hoping to be working with them at some point. Um, has Sharon, Dan Adams been on your show? Uh, Dan hasn't because he's been so darn busy. Um, but I'm working with Naomi and Felicia and a few others. Yeah, over Naomi's there. wonderful. I don't know if I know Felicia. So yep. She's doing the daily. They're doing a daily oh, great. rip. A daily rip now. Okay. So by all means, subscribe to that too yeah. because it does keep you up to date on what is going on. But what I was saying is they reported out of uh, Great Barrington that 70% of their sales are out-of-state sales. And that shouldn't surprise anybody who knows a map. <laughs> yeah, the, pro- the problem is – if this cannabis that's being bought is going back out of state or if people are people from New York are coming here to consume it, you yep. know. Uh, well, they're coming here to buy it. Let's yeah. talk about that first. And the and and Massachusetts ends up getting those taxes from those out of state residents. Well, so there's no prohibition on people from out of state coming to buy cannabis in Massachusetts. Right. There, you know, so there's no there's not I mean, other than the regular federal illegality, there's no prohibition on that. I mean, that's why the, that's why the New England states are scrambling to now get some sort of adult use market in the other states as well, because they don't want Massachusetts to win out on all the money. Do you think that's happening at the federal level, too, because you've got Mexico and Canada on either side of the United States for the most part? Is that is that one of the factors that's moving the green wave in Washington, Yeah, well, we have the States Act, which, uh, you know, our, our firm is committed to, and, and uh, Christian Cedarberg is on the board of the organization that meets in D.C. to push it forward. That's, is that the that, NCIA? That's a, no, not NCIA. Um, it's, it, it's Elizabeth – well, the, the folks who – started the States Act was Elizabeth Warren and yep. Cory Gardner out of... They couldn't have two more opposite politicians, right? right. Mass, uh, uh, cannabis is a, is a great... Pretty much everybody's opposite Elizabeth. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But, yeah. but cannabis <laughs> is like one of the only... Is one of the only issues anywhere that really brings people together, right? You, you have McClintock and Polis or had, you know, you have... Um, you know, Gardner and, and, and uh, Warren, you had uh, Blumenauer and Rohrbacher, you know, th- these politicians who couldn't be more different right. are united on cannabis. Yeah. And so it's so I think we're, you know, uh, now that the House uh, has, you know, doesn't have Pete Sessions who blocks any uh, the, the rules. Can, no, Pete. Was, oh, Pete. He, well, that's right. Yes. That's he, didn't right. Allow any, he didn't allow any cannabis legislation to, be, to right. really get to that's get right to get um, discussed yeah. and, and yep. come out of the committee. And so now that that's over, uh, I, I ex- we expect and hope, you know, for safe banking and the States Act to go through. I mean, you just saw um, our attorney general Barr, you know, spoke about uh, liking like positively about the states act in the last few days it's funny when we when we passed when we passed question four in 2016 we had we had a party for it at, at lear in the back bay and it was the same night of the of the presidential election yeah. uh, it was interesting you know it was yeah. sort of bittersweet for those of us with of a certain political bent right but i was very happy that question four passed after having spent you know a, a year and a half plus on on i'm working on it but in that at Lear in the Back Bay, the Back Bay of Boston is not exactly a a, a haven or a den for uh, conservatives. Mm-hmm. But, you know that that party was half conservative type people because cannabis just attracts those people. So I I, I don't and and then you know another another example is Steve Mnuchin, you know the Treasury Secretary, yep. you know talks about the importance of having access to banking as a safety issue, right? So right. so all these people that you know you normally think are, you know, sort of conservatives and or whatever they call them, whatever they whatever they are nowadays are actually still proponents for, you know, a thoughtful legalization of cannabis. Right. Yeah. And and it's because that 
side of things is always been uh, very concerned about how much money they have in their pocket and what's going to happen next. Uh, a lot of people, as you know, in this country do vote with their pocketbooks and what's going to be best for my family or what's going to be best for me uh, tends to um, sway a vote one way or another. Um, and again, I'm just this is my opinions because, after all, it's my show and I get to do opinions. It's just the beauty of being a talk show host. Um, so, I, and I really do believe that there is far more money invested on the cannabis side by Americans in various businesses now than perhaps any other, certainly new business over the last 10 years. Uh, when money is invested, it tends to push. Um, politicians, doesn't it? I mean, am I going, am I totally? Yeah, no, I mean, of course. I mean, you know, ultimately I think come, things come down to money and, you know, that that's how po- politics works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it sort of depends. I mean, access to capital is still the, the number one inhibiting factor uh, in the rollout of, of cannabis in any jurisdiction anywhere mm-hmm. in the country, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, given the federal illegality and, you know, it's hard to get traditional, you know, loans for, you know, for this type of business. You know, you might be able to get a mortgage on a property, you know, that's starting to happen more and more. But it's access to capital is one of the, the one of the hardest parts. And that's why, you know, states and safe banking are so important. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think Massachusetts and the commission does want to get it right. They want to create a social equity program that works, that will expunge the records of those who have been, you know, mostly impacted by the war on drugs. And other states are already kind of jumping on that bandwagon too, trying to not only uh, implement those laws but also to get all those records expunged out of. Yeah, well, expungement's a big part of this, and, and so a few years ago now, I think I wrote uh, a little piece in the Globe uh, with with uh, Police Chief Carmichael on the other side of it, mm-hmm. uh, talking about expungement. And you know, there was a couple, there were a couple expungement bills uh, that were moving through. I mean, I I I, pers- I think it should be an automatic expungement. People mm-hmm. shouldn't have to go petition. I think the courts uh, should go fi- should go figure out who has, you know, nonviolent non-distribution no minors you know no other bad things in the police reports that would that would be a problem and they should expunge all those cannabis convictions and let and anybody who's still serving time whether it's for a probation violation or otherwise due to cannabis should be let out of custody and they shouldn't have to go apply for that either that should just be automatic and so expungement is a big part of this and none of the bill none of the pieces of legislation even jalen's who's uh went really that far yeah. And, um, you know, I know a few of those people still that uh, even though you get your record expunged, can you vote? Yeah. I, uh, and I don't know the answer to that, actually. I mean, okay. if you have, I don't know I the don't... answer to that. I, I don't know what's up in mass. I know different states. I mean, that in Florida, we saw we saw in the last election, election cycle that a lot of people had their voting rights restored, felons. I don't know the status of that in mass. Okay. I've never practiced any real. Yeah. You know, as, a, as an attorney, you know where your boundaries are. Oh, this yeah. And I have a lot of them. <laughs> Let's talk about the social uh, the social clubs because you've seen them work in California to some extent. Yeah, Where, what do you think it's going to look like in Massachusetts when we actually see a social club? And mm. you know, we are, I think you mentioned you hope to see one at least before the end of this year. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, the problem, the thing about on on site consumption. Yes, that's that, and it's got, not not a private club. Yep. where you're just letting people right. in to smoke cannabis. Like, Summit, like yeah. the Summit Lounge, and, and they've done a great job yeah, out there. Yeah, there's some of those private clubs. Yep. 
But when you're talking about a, a, a licensed on on-site consumption facility, licensed by the Cannabis Control Commission, yeah. One of the things that we did when we wrote the law is you have that whatever host community that you're, you're going to cite that in has to have its own vote or referendum uh, to decide whether they want to allow that in. Okay. And so you're going to have to. I don't know, and right now the, the Cannabis Control Commission hasn't issued regulations for uh, on-site consumption. Right. T- they actually, the latest thing, they've been taking in all their info now, yeah. and then they're going to be discussing it over the next couple of weeks, and then having a report and sharing it with yep. the public. So so I think people are going to want to, before you're going to go through the expense of ha- holding a local referendum for the on-site consumption, you're going to want to look at what the Cannabis Control Commission wants that referendum to see. There might be some specifics. Right. So I'm hoping... In a year from now, we might see one. I don't think there's going to be one open in 2019, though. We're wow. already almost May. And, yeah, you know, no, I know. You have the CCC has to finish up their fact finding and their rule, the regu- and their promulgation of the regulations, which has a bunch of notice requirements and all that. And then it would be up to operators to go and do that local referendum vote at the very least, and get the host community agreement, get the rest of the application into the CCC, and then they would have to rule on that. And there'd certainly be a bunch of requests for information. And when they mark it complete, there, it's going to be another ninety days. So I don't see. And then you would have to actually build out and get open. So I don't see any opening by the end of this year. Wow. That that and I just it's it's just incredible to me. I mean, you've worked so hard to get to this point, and by the way, it happens to be a very social drug. It just has always been a part. Of, it was part of the counterculture when I was growing up in the '60s and '70s. It was a it was a way to protest the establishment. You know that you know a blatant uh, um, act of civil disobedience it would be to you know to light up a joint at a ball game in the bleachers of Red and, and Fenway Park. Uh, I'm going out on a limb thinking that's not news to people. Okay, <laughs> that's been a, that was around for a long time in the '60s and '70s, um, and now of course you know if you do it and it's legal. People are still like, whoa, do you smell that? You smell that? Somebody's smoking. Somebody's smoking. The, 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 the steps to re- becoming the new normal, to acceptance, is still a long way away here. Well, particularly, yeah, here, particularly in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's right. But it's, it's become, like you said, it's becoming more and more accepted. Well, you know, the vote was squeaked by by three points, but now now people are about over sixty percent. Yeah. You know, um, and again, that again, education. When you educate yourself about this product, when you look at the science and research that does exist, and a lot of people say, "Well, we need it to be federally legal before we really get into research." Well, you're going to actually step up the research, but. 29,000 studies have been done on cannabis by the substance abuse community to see what kind of bad effects it has. And they really didn't come up with any. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, it's all about education. That's really what I do. You know, uh, I used to have to do more of the actual, you know, grinding lawyer stuff. And, and I've, I've been fortunate now where I really go to different municipalities and talk to, you know, mayors and city councilors and selectmen and planners and police chiefs and whatnot about cannabis and about citing them in those mm-hmm. in those municipalities. And then do, you know, get host community agreements, get, you know, local permitting, special permit from, you know, variances, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's really largely what my job is now. We have I think 12 attorneys in the Boston office and they they, they all help uh, put those pieces together. And I'm fortunate enough where I get to go do the easy part and the fun part, which is talk to all these folks about cannabis. Is that fun? I mean, you get you get in the... You, look, I could hit you with the four big things on the, uh, the the pushbacks, right? It's a gateway drug. What's your response to that? Well, it's it's not. I mean, we know from we know from data out of Colorado that 
the studies done by the state of Colorado that adolescent drug use, not just cannabis use, is lower than the national average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, and adolescent cannabis use has not, is, is also lower than the national average. So it's actually an exit drug and not a gateway drug. It's an alternative to opiate, which, you know, being prescribed opiates is what has been killing people, right? right. You, be, you, you prescribed opiates for, for a bad accident. You, be, you become a heroin addict effectively. Your insurance runs up. You're not able to get oxys for free or low cost anymore. More, you're on the street buying heroin, you know, and then, then that's when you, you know, die. You know, right. cannabis doesn't bring you there at all. Cannabis, if you, if you medicate with cannabis instead of opiates initially, you're never going to go down that road. And then people use cannabis as an exit drug from opiates. This is the second of four parts of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young's interview with Valerio Romano of Vicente Cedarburg. A reminder that this podcast can be found on the clnsmedia.com website, iTunes, Spotify, C-Suite, Radio Network, and the new procannabismedia.com. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called Cannabis Sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. In the Weeds with Jimmy Young is a podcast produced by Pro Cannabis Media Productions. All views and opinions on this show are not to be considered medical advice in any way and are not a reflection of the opinions of management of Pro Cannabis Media or any of its affiliated marketing partners. Thank you.